0: Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu
1: Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me Coaching Program. If you feel being happy, committed and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged and the Master of Me Coaching Program, Stuart Hayes. Mr. Hayes. Mr.
0: Sayer, how's things? I go pretty good. And yourself? Oh, mate, I've had an awesome day. It's good to have some sun coming back into Melbourne. Oh, it's a beautiful time. Spring has sprung. Spring has sprung.
1: Tell us all about today's guest.
0: Well, mate, this is going to be a very interesting discussion today. Our guest is one of Australia's foremost professional sports administrators. He's also the CEO of Australia's 2015 AFC Asian Cup organization body. Now, mate, this is an event that is anticipated to bring 45,000 spectators and 3,500 media to Australia from overseas. How's that? That's a pretty big pull. He's had a career exceeding two decades in which he has held significant leadership roles in two other sports outside football. The first as the general manager of cricket with Cricket Australia for nine years. And, mate, as a cricket fan, I'm sure you'll agree The period that he went through that era would have been absolutely fantastic. There was war, there was war, all those guys. And then afterwards, he was the CEO of AFL Powerhouse Hawthorne for six years as well. Wow. But our connection, both you and I, started off way back in the 80s when we had the privilege of working with this guy at the school we went to in high school, Mazinod College. Michael Brown, welcome to Careers Unplugged. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> it's so, a pleasure. We came across you a long time ago um, when you guided us uh, through physical education and, uh, and you were a man of mystery and intrigue. <laughs> um, you, know, you, you came from another country, but you didn't, not, weren't noticeably from another country and you, you seemed to know a hell of a lot about AFL football for someone who was from overseas. Um, how, how did your career kick off?
2: Um, well, I I um I was born in Birmingham and I came to Australia when I was nine, um, and then like like most people of English uh, origins, I wanted to play local soccer, and uh, I was tall and quite skillful, so I went to join the local football club. But unfortunately, the multicultural nature and the language barrier um, made it challenging. And I was tall kid, so gradually I, I moved into AFL and. Played played the VFA for ten years and um, and played a lot of cricket and then sort of became a real Aussie and it's funny when people meet my parents today they don't realise or people who know me they don't realise that um, um, you know I'm very much English stock so, but now I'm very much naturalised Australian so so um, school for me uh, all I ever wanted to be was was to, to teach um, particularly physical education I was mad about sport mm. I graduated and. Um, Mazenod College was the job that I applied for, um, and they were looking for a football coach or a 1st eighteen football coach in 1978 and a phys ed teacher. Um, it didn't actually matter what you did. I think they actually wanted to coach first, and okay. because I was, I was playing at North Melbourne at the time, um, um, I got the job, which was great, and then I spent 14 great years at Mazanod, um, really important part of, of my family's heritage. You know, my son still plays cricket there today. I'm involved. I go back and speak regularly at the old boys' cricket and the old boys' uh, football. And, um, yeah, a really important part. And then, of course, my career took me into another space, which made the whole world change.
0: So talk us through that transition. I mean, you you know, you were, you were happy there. I mean, the time that we probably met you, you were finishing up almost um, in that sort of time frame.
2: Yeah, well, I joined well, there in 78, so I would have been there in all of your six years um, – so there was a guy, um, another a Scottish guy who was there with me, a guy called Norm Davy who was well, well known in, who was well known in the soccer fraternity, and I sort of bought the AFL or the football and the cricket part, um, and I had a passion um, to be to see the school go forward. I remember, the school in 1978 um, was only 300 students, and now it's over 1300, and it was a very small Catholic regional Catholic college that no one knew about. Um, but we, you know, we set about making some changes and we had some great kids, um, great staff. And you now gradually we took Mazenod to probably the, the pinnacle of school sport, winning premierships. And, um, that just led me into the, into the background of sport. And very early on, because I had an AFL background and I was playing when I was teaching, we had a player called Silvio Faschini who came to the school, who was an outstanding sporting talent. And, um... I remember um, he was playing in our first 18 and the South Melbourne Football Club, who were then based in South Melbourne on their way to Sydney in the early 80s, um, wanted to play him in their senior team. And of course, the obligation for anybody in a Catholic school, private school, was you put your school commitments first. (laughs) And um, I got involved with their recruiting manager, a guy called Greg Miller and said look i'm sorry his obligation is to his school and of course that started a whole debate which became quite public and um and then we got and i we eventually got through the discussion and it came to a space where i said look i don't think you guys know how to treat young young people and we've got a lot of them at our college and he said Why do not you come and do better and so i joined in a part-time basis in their recruiting program which i really enjoyed so i could do that on weekends i played i played footy on weekends of course sylvia went on to do amazing things Played over a hundred games, um, changed the rules when he moved clubs without a clearance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, so that was probably my introduction into the world outside of teaching. And I'd always had a desire that if I studied, and I you know, during my time in uh, at Mazanod, I took that opportunity to upgrade my qualifications. Um, I did an additional um, additional degree. I did a bachelor, a bachelor of business. Um, so what I did was started to add, hoping one day that the opportunity would come and. When it did in 1990, I think I went to North Melbourne with Greg as football manager under the what was then the Wayne Schimelbush range, uh, or reign. Okay. Yeah. Um, John Longmore had kicked uh, 96 goals, I think, for North, um, and great personalities because they were on the cusp of an incredibly successful time, albeit not with Wayne Schimelbush. And after a couple of years, they ran out of money, so I got told to move on, and um and that was a real shock because I lived in the education world where you paid every second week. You never had to worry about it. So I, I remember driving up the Eastern Freeway in Melbourne to a house in Heathmont and that was way before the days of mobile phones thinking, golly, I've been given a week's pay and I've got to give my car back on Tuesday and I've got two young children and a mortgage.
0: But What you were talking about there, Mick, is something – I'm actually running an event uh, at Melbourne Victory this Friday yep. uh, and the event is actually exploring from a player's perspective – what type of things should you put into your early career, you know, skill acquisition, um, further studies, whatever, that's going to help you transition um, out, of the, out of your career one day when you cease to be a player, but also to maximize your time in your career when, you, when you're playing as well? I mean, were you sort of thinking about those things? Is that why you started studying at the time?
2: Yeah, well, I just I realized there was life beyond teaching, and I loved it to death, um, but I always wanted to – but I didn't know what more was. I didn't – there was no specific vision that came to me. Teaching gave me um, a great couple of opportunities. It gave me the opportunity to play sport, which I did because I could get to training because you were finished at three thirty, four 4 o'clock. So I could pretty much get anywhere in Melbourne to play um, and to study because you had – in those days of Catholic education, we probably had 12 or 13 weeks a year leave, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, so it gave you a, ho- a whole lot of opportunities, and I just wanted to use them for – for positive experiences and um and i just figured that if i was going to go these were the days of academia that your qualifications were paramount so if i could add to my add to my resume in a qualification sense and then i was doing a bit of recruiting i didn't know where that would lead but i met a whole lot of people i basically travelled Australia, I was pretty organised, I became sportsmaster at Mazenod so my teaching load diminished and I was responsible for driving the sports program, which is a critical component of any education program, you know, the ability to not only have elite sport, but also to have house sport and make sure everybody engaged in some sort of physical activity. Um, yeah, it just took me to that opportunity and then, you know, I'm a great believer that, you know, good things happen um, and you've got to make sure that you're in the right position to consider them. And you don't always take the first thing that comes up, but you know, I think I've learned over 30 years of working that playing to your strengths and playing to the things you enjoy is much better than playing to things you don't enjoy because mm. you just you become a clock watcher.
1: Yeah. Is that something that's formalized in, in professional sport now? I, I used to uh, actually te- teach Luke Darcy guitar years ago and, and the, the Western Bulldogs used to pay for the guitar lessons. And and it was something – In the salary cap? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was obviously about this skill thing. Luckily, he was good at media because he was a terrible guitar player. But uh, Mm -hmm. is that something that's formalized now?
2: Yeah, I think think the the thing about – and look, sport tips millions of dollars now into player welfare, which it didn't in my time. Like I was the football manager of North Melbourne Mm. and I think there were six people in the whole business. There was a full-time marketing guy, the CEO – Greg Miller, who was football director of me, golly. And then, we, you know, it might have been a couple of uh, PAs, but that was sort of it. A finance guy, obviously. Um, and now, you look, you know, when I left Hawthorne, um, we were 80 full-time staff, and I think they're over 150 today. Wow. So, you know, it's a – sports administration is a massive business. And, you know, I don't think anybody realised the importance of, of – until you actually start to see the stats of, you know, unemployment, suicide – all the things that happen in elite sport, because one day an elite player steps out of the limelight and has to do what you and I do every day, mm. and you know, you know what they, they haven't—they haven't paid their credit card, they haven't paid their mortgage, they don't know what it's like to buy a pint of milk because they've been superstars. And I think player welfare is an incredibly great addition to AFL. It's a big issue in cricket in my time there, but it's about teaching players the life skills that you need because. You know, my nephew who plays AFL footy with Hawthorne, um, you know, and he's a really sharp kid um, and he's, you know, he's, a, he's an incredible player. Um, but everything's given to you so in so many ways, be it plane upgrades, be it meals, that you actually get into this movie star um, mentality and it's only the very good ones who get to realise that – lifespan, I think I think they say the average career of, a, of an AFL player is about 50 games or 60 games. Right. That's three years. So, you know, understanding that transition and a great credit to sport that have spent time helping people understand not only what's necessary but what their skills are because it would seem obvious to me that, you know, not obvious, but it becomes apparent that people say, oh, I want to be, I want to be a coach. That's because i played footy, therefore I should stay in footy. Mm. Um, what about all these other careers that are about teaching people from education right through to human resources, to mentoring. And there's some people who've done some amazing things working in business um, and are not just in a pure business skill, but have taken their their careers into that space. So uh, the more that sport does that, um, the more I think it deserves credit, but it's still got a long way to go.
1: It's interesting because we interviewed Richo and and he spoke about – uh, how lucky he was because he really didn't have a plan B at all yep. and that had helped him to some degree because it was a he was in 110 mm-hmm. percent because there was no plan B but I always think of the uh, the classic American film where the you know the Super Bowl player does a knee and that's it he's the janitor
2: yep.
1: in the movie so it's obviously a, a a very important area as you're saying Mick was there you know you've had some some big jumps, and you talk about uh, time, no mobile phone, you've got a week's wage in your pocket and uh, and so on and so forth, was there some dark moments in
2: this journey? Oh, look, I think there's, you know, I've been fortunate, I've had a lot of dark moments, but certainly going home, you know, having left the education environment, which was your security blanket, and I loved it, look, you know, I couldn't speak more highly of the people I worked with, the students I taught are still friends today, but it's very lonely going home and telling your wife, well, we've got a week's salary, what are we going to do? Um, But I think the other thing that it brings out, it brings out your desire to fight. And I remember the day I got home, my wife and I went for a long walk down to the creek, which was near our place. It was 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 June 30th, um, 1990. And um, it's funny how you remember the days that are critical to you. Um, And we just sat there and talked. And by late afternoon, I had a part-time teaching job in perhaps two areas I wasn't as skilled at, and that's religious education and geography. But you grab it because you want to be. You want to provide, and then that, of course, led me to then being able to survey the market, and I started to work your network. and I think that's the message I tell young people today: that you know, no matter what you've achieved, the best thing you can develop is a really good network of people who know you and know of your achievements. And I would like to say, you know, in my time, you know, I'm often, um, say, congratulated, but. Pat it on the back for the fact I've got a pretty reasonable network of people across the sporting environment, but I've, I've worked at that. I've worked at that. I've made efforts to get out and meet people. There were times early in my career where, uh, particularly when I was at Hawthorne, because the CEO of an AFL club gave you a profile, I would read stories in the paper about people who'd done incredible things. I'd ring them up and say, "Can I get fifteen minutes of your time?" Mm. And I'd say, "All I want is some career advice. I'm not. I don't want. I'm not, and, and I reckon." Of all the people I asked, I would have got knockbacks from less than 5%. And these were government leaders, political, um, social, economic, sporting people you just said, okay, you know, I'm really interested in what you've achieved. This is me in 30 seconds or a minute. What's your best advice? And that's what that network then all of a sudden reaches out to people and now 30 years later as I get to the end of my time, it's amazing the number of people who know you and it's sort of it's a bit humbling but you've actually built those relationships because, you know, we live in a technologically advanced world but we all want personal contacts. That's a real balance. So, um, Sounds you know, like you should,
0: be, uh, you should be sitting in our shoes, Mick, and, and running a podcast with the types of <laughs> well, people you've
2: been in. Like, uh, interestingly for me, I listen to more podcasts on things across the world than I do live anything. So if I'm on an airplane or if I'm traveling or if I'm just taking it easy, I, you know, I just I like to listen to people about what they've done, what they've achieved. I'm probably the only full-time listener on Qantas of their business channel. Um, (laughs) um, But, yeah, it's just interesting people and you learn things. You know, I learned today, I I met up with a mate of mine who's the COO of Accor Hotels. And, um, you know, they're massive. They're, you know, they're sort of the biggest by that far in in Australia and and South Asia, uh, Southeast Asia. And we were just talking about public speaking. And he said, I learned a really good lesson the other day. Um, and, which, and I said well look it's always when I speak publicly and I do a lot of it people want to prepare me note dot point di or oh, sorry word by word and I can't do that because that's not my style and he so well, I've got the same problem so what I did I sat next to Tony Abbott at a function recently and he had a spreadsheet he had a page um, in landscape that just had key messages across the top and the two or three points in each and he said he he adds his natural natural speaking skill to the facts and it all works. so I thought Okay, I actually, I get today.
0: that. My personally, what I do is I draw a, like a flower pot with um, the the stems and and the buds of the flowers. It all sounds very floral, but it's I'm very visual. So each of those is a is a sort of a um, a key point, and it yeah. If I get stuck on it, I can come down the stem to get the detail if I need it.
2: And I think when you public, you know, and I you know say so I, I do it, um, and I really enjoy public speaking. But I, when people write the words for me, I, I'm I'm thinking ahead of the words. And then I stumble or make a mistake. So this way, and I walked away from Simon today and said, look, whatever else we talked about, which has been good fun, I've learned something. And that's the lessons you want to take in the business life is you know, I learned to count because you can't run a business without counting. I learned that people are your greatest asset. Um, and then you you refine so many other skills. I learned that strategy, you know, you can't have a you can't have a business without a strategy and a strategy structure, staff, so all those sort of things that are real catch-cry. Um you know, why are you here? What do you stand for? What do you exist? Um, if you wishy-washy, people just move you on really, really quickly. So we're in a time-poor environment where you've got to be succinct and you've got to be on top of your game. So if I get 10 minutes with James Packer or Lachlan murdock as I'm fortunate to have done, you can't afford to fumble.
0: Look, Looking back, I mean, you've talked about um, a transition from – or sort of following your nose a little bit into football way back when you were in uh, education, um, which then enabled you to sort of extend further. Do you th- consider that was a – were there lucky breaks or were there breaks that happened or did you sort of work hard for them?
2: Um, look, I, you know, I, I keep saying I'm the luckiest guy alive. Um, uh, Lee, Trevino, Lee Trevino, the, the, the old, very old golfer, has a great saying – You know what? The harder I practice, the luckier I get. And and I I reckon it's a classic. Like I don't have any great visions that drive me. The two things I think about. One is that – and the other great quote I love, um, which is pertinent to me because I've worked with people, is um, you can ride a horse to conquer, but you must get off to rule. And that to me just says, okay, well, I've actually got to engage with this. I've got to be part of it. So I involve myself in the detail. I talk to people about – you know, I've got 130 or 140 staff that work for me now. I can't do their jobs. So I've got no golden torch. But if I can walk down the lift tonight with a young girl who's driving home on a train for an hour and have a chat to her about the movie she watches on her iPad and what she's watching, she, and then she says to me, wow, it's great to have you around the office because I haven't seen you for a few days, you know, there's sort of things you reflect on and think, okay, you make a little bit of a difference. But ultimately, yeah, you, you, you just you just you just get your moment, and it doesn't just happen. And I'm not sure you make it happen unless you orchestrate it. But if you work hard at it, it's a pretty reasonable outcome.
1: Do you set goals around that sort of thing, Mick?
2: Uh, I'm a great person for setting goals. So yeah. I set I set my personal goals, I set my business goals, and then I I uh, I'm, I'm a great feedback junkie. So I'll ask people at every review that I do with every one of my staff over 20 years. Okay, this is my view about you and your work performance and whatever else. Okay, now's your chance to tell me. Mm -hmm. And it's really bite your tongue and listen because you've copped some absolutely challenging comments, but you cannot be judgmental and you cannot be argumentative. You've got to say, okay, let's park that offline. I could have done that better. But, but, you know, your honesty with your staff is – people, they're there for the same reason you're there, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know – Peter Collins, who was a, a mentor um, or a friend and a mentor who was ex-McKinsey's who was a long work with us at Cricket, made a, really, obvious, a really, um, really poignant point to me once. He said, if you're the CEO of a business, 50% of your staff are talking about you 50% of the time, whether it's where you were, what you did, what you said, they just like talking about the people ahead of them. They talk about the managers, the CEOs, and <coughs> understand that and make the effort to integrate with your business. But also, it's not about being popular. It's about being practical because what they don't want you to be friends with them. They want you to help them get better and move on in their careers and give them honest feedback in a, in a way that they can translate it and turn it into action.
1: Have you had that same uh, feedback relationship with your employers?
2: Oh, absolutely. My chairman's Frank Lowy. Yep. Um, and my deputy chairman's a guy called Brian Schwartz, who runs AAG. IAG, XCO, these are, you know, these are world-renowned business people, and they give it to you straight. There's mm-hmm. no there's no sugar coating. And probably that's the thing that I think I learned very early in my career. You wanted to make the pain easy for people, but I learned in terminating people, this is a, a lesson that I've learned very quickly in my career, that... Um, Most people say to you, saying Stuart, your case. Look, come in, sit down. I've got a really difficult decision to tell you, and give all the reasons before you tell the person. My my way of managing it now is to say, Stuart, come in, need to stand, Stuart. I need to tell you that our relationship is over, um, for these reasons. And then you sit back and you get all the emotion, and then you go back again and say, okay, Stuart, I understand your position, but in this case, we need to do this for these reasons, and I need you. We need to work out where we go next. Because ultimately, you've got to get to that difficult decision, you've got to get to that difficult outcome, and it's never easy, uh, but look, people want honesty. And I, I well, the think truth, that, I mean,
0: i found, I mean, I, I've, uh, I guess, had the, I don't know, the dubious honour of, of, sacking, of sacking thousands of more people than I've employed uh, at various times, just given the nature of my work as a CEO, and I've, I've found the truth is a so is cold, um, but... What I'm hearing from you as well is you can certainly deliver it with compassion.
2: Well, I think you have to. Like, don't – you know, my conversations with people, and I've sacked AFL players who thought they were careers were going to go here. I've sacked Australian cricketers. I've told some of the best ever Australian cricketers it's time to go. And that's not easy. Like how do you tell a legend of Australian sport it's time to go? Um, But you've got to to hopefully have the relationship because you can't do it cold. You can't do it in a cold call situation. But no. you can do it to say, look, I just want to give you my view. You decide, but this is my view that it's time because of these reasons. and Or in the case of, look, we're, we're finishing this relationship today and this is the honest reason. And I find that uh, look, I, I've never enjoyed, but I never will. Um, you know, I'm just thinking of an example where I I, I told a, an unknown AFL player that his career was over and I was really scared that he was going to do something to himself that – that you know would have harmed him. Unfortunately, he hasn't. He's moved on now. But that's how people take very simple discussions.
1: Mm. Mm. Never easy. What would be the highlight for you in such an amazing uh, career? With so um,
2: many- um, look, highlights for me. I've been lucky enough to travel the world with sport. I've been to uh, more times than I care to remember in 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 the UK and West Indies. I've been to we won world, two World Cups, Test Championship, um, ODI Championships. Um, um, I, I we got to an, an AFL preliminary final in 2001 with Hawthorne. Uh, I'm putting on this incredible event that is a world-class event with sort of, as you say, um, a million people are going to be tuned in Asia to every game of this event. Three and a half thousand people, invi- three and a half thousand people here um, – um, the highlight to me is being able to deal with elite sports people in a natural environment and treating them as human beings and hopefully getting their buy into our outcomes. You know, I'd be happy to count Michael Clark as a close friend. Mm. Shane Warren's a close friend, and I managed most of Shane's challenging career. Um, but you know what? They, 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 they get it. Um, don't, get, don't get star-tracked or stargazing. Get involved and do your job, and people regard you for that. Um, you know, I bump into, you know, lots of people who've played at elite level and, um, you know, I'm going on on, on – I'm seeing the AFL grand final. I'm in Kuala Lumpur on Saturday week and I'm going to the Kuala Lumpur's biggest football club, whose name I've forgotten, but <laughs> D- um, Daniel, uh, Daniel Chick, who played at Hawthorne yes, in the West yes. Coast, who won a grand final basically for West Coast in that game when he when he sh- he smothered that ball from O'Keefe. Um, We've reconnected and he wants me to so say, we're going to catch up. And that's – if you're a sports administrator or you're involved in the game, it's wonderful that people want to keep in touch. And um, you know, I'm really looking forward to catching up with Daniel. He's had some difficult, challenging times when he left the game, but he's, he's, he's now re-established his life. And, yeah, to me that's been the bit that I've enjoyed most of all, not to be caught stargazing, but I've been very fortunate. I often say, you know, look, one day the, the penny dropped for me one day I was when I was at Hawthorne. I was watching training at Glenferry Oval, and they had these little round things that players kick and handball through. And I was watching Shane Crawford, and out of, I reckon, 30 times, he put it through this one-metre diameter by hand or by foot 29. Hmm. And then I realised how, uh, how good they are. And we sometimes – we're critic on the television because our players don't do, but I tell you what, they're incredibly talented people. And you watch Adam Gilchrist or Ricky Ponting or Glenn McGrath, and it's all it looks simple. Hmm. But um, I've actually I've had the ability to bowl in cricket terms to some of the Australian players and I realized how inadequate and how, <laughs> and how pathetic I am. But, you know, Adam Gukras used to look at me and go, you're kidding, is that the best you can do? I'm going, that's it. I haven't gotten any better than that. And, um, yeah, so, you know. Look, well, where yeah, does that leave
0: me? Uh, my my accolade is I bowled to you.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, so,
0: uh, you know, so uh, so a younger person, in fact, I'm even quite inspired by your stories, <laughs> thinking me as well. But. A person who wants to get into sports administration and to follow a career like yours, what's the advice you give them?
2: Uh, oh, just get out there and, and talk to people. Um, yeah, you know, without doubt, what if not the one of the biggest growing job markets in Australia is sports administration. Now, whether you're at athletics or you're at you're at an Asian Cup or you're at the cricket World Cup or you're uh, everybody's growing. Everybody's seeing the role that sports plays in in communities and. You know, no more so than where I am in Sydney now, and rugby league is desperately trying to regain its hold over the, the heartland of sport with all the other sports fighting for it. Um, but but get out and get involved. Um, you know, if if you have – if you cannot find a role, volunteer. Get known. You know, 75% of jobs are never advertised. Um, I, I countless numbers of people who have worked with me because they're great volunteers or they're part-timers, or, and they become full-time employees when jobs come up because – you know the greatest the greatest worry. Sorry, go back a step. Um, I had a meeting with on Friday with a guy who runs a business about that reviews um, uh, CVs, uh, driving checks, finance checks, and pretty much the world today can check you out from whether you're a good person or a bad person. Mm-hmm. And so this guy lives his life making sure whether these people fit the bill, um, but ultimately. You can tick all those boxes, but you've actually still got to be a person who is competent and considered valuable to that role. And, and um, my advice to people is just just go explore. Um, if you want to work in sport, go, sport's not going to come to you. Sport's not going to knock on my front door. I've got to go and tell people about me, about what I can offer, and then, you know, Somewhere down the track, hopefully um, you come together.
1: Do you find Do you find people wanting you to be their mentor? Like you mentioned, how you used to call yeah. people and say, "Hey, you know, give me fifteen yeah. minutes of your time."
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I created a monster. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I give an example sort of last. Karma. <laughs> yeah, last Wednesday I went out to the Manly Entrepreneurs Club, which is an amazing group of people, and they they are or uh, well, Manly's are forty five minutes where I live. So I get out there, and there is seventy people who live in this communal IT hub where they're trying to start a business. They're all young people with incredible visions, and they're just listening to every word that I say, and I think, golly, I'm no messiah here. Um, And since then, I reckon I've had 60 invitations for coffee, (laughs) catch-ups, which I'll get through because I have a really simple rule in life that, if you contact me, I respond to you within 24 hours. Now, I might say I'll ring you next week. I might say I can't do it today, or I might say let's talk rather than um, let's talk rather than, um, than just meet because you know I've, I've built into my staff now. I don't meet with anybody for more than 30 minutes without a formal agenda and papers. So if you want to meet with me, be ready for a 30 minute discussion that will end up at 20 minute mark with outcomes, actions, next steps.
1: Beautiful. I love it. Well,
0: speaking of thirty minutes, Mick, we're uh, we're pretty much run out of time for this episode. But before we finish up, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing. Um, I, you know, I, I certainly have been impressed watching your career over the years from a distance, and to have this opportunity to talk to you now has been wonderful. And I'm certain that many of our Guests will uh, will reach out with comments and possibly they'll even try to call you. <laughs> now that you've mentioned that part,
2: that, and that's fine. You know that's that's what you've got to do. And um, Stu, for us to reconnect after what you mid 80s, I think you're Grand, and I think you were a red boy. Was, uh, you're was, a red boy, and you're a great middle distance runner. We got runner.
0: our we got our first. Uh, house premiership uh, when i was the captain and it's still one of my great sporting moments i have to say
2: and we shared those and now for us to reconnect all these years later just says to me you know what it's worth doing and um that's what that's what life is life's about you know all of those reconnections so happy to help and happy to talk to anybody um i have no special answers it's all hard work and i've been (laughs) very lucky but i've really enjoyed it thank you rich Mate, absolute
1: pleasure. The last time I saw you, Mick, uh, you were my hockey coach. So, I know. Uh, it's, well,
2: it's, as I always say to people, look, it doesn't matter where you can coach, it's where you put the witch's hats. <laughs> <laughs> <Mate>,
1: uh, <coughs> thanks so much uh, for, for coming on the show. And uh, to all of you at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us. We hope the insights that Mick's provided you will help you on your journey. Of course, don't hesitate to get in touch with him and ask for that 30 minutes when you can. Make a point of uh, visiting careersunplugged.com. Check out uh, Bits and Bobs you can find there. Leave a comment. Get access to a whole bunch of resources designed specifically to help you make it big in life, career, and business, and sport. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stew. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com
0: forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, thewellnesscouch, streaming wellness into your lives.